You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello and welcome along. Nice to see you all. It's a new year, new you. Hope is on the way. That's the thing we're all clinging to right now. It certainly seems as though we're in the end game of all this disruption. Fingers crossed for us all. As I speak, we've just moved into a third national lockdown here, but over here, we're keeping our spirits high, we're focusing on the positives, and there's no better way of doing that than by escaping into some golden age entertainment. So take my hand, and off we go. First things first, let's put some pep in our step with a bouncing melody, and who better to choose one than this show's musical director, Broadway's finest, Mr. Rob Bowman. Here's a fun little song from the 1930s. As you probably know, every Sunday, Adam and a wonderful group of people get together and we watch a film. Many of us have this great love for pre-code movies. And songs like this, well, they would fit in just fine. They're playful. They're a little adult. They never cross the line, but gee, they're fun. Um, I first heard this song when I watched the BBC and the Hollywood version of Pennies from Heaven. This recording is from Phyllis Robbins, and she's backed up by Orlando and his Glen Eagles Hotel Orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, love is good for anything that ails you. Love is good for anything that ails you. Superb. 
If you've got the time. I certainly do find myself with some time, yes. We've got the beer. I am all yours. Is anyone else convinced that this is the greatest song of all time? Well, there goes dry annuary then. Rob Bowman, you need to get on the case. Choose some more beer songs, please, for Broadway. We all love a musical. <laughs> Without further ado, a very dastardly edition of our favourite guessing game today. This one will stump you because the guest does a fantabulous job of obscuring their very distinctive voice. However, there may be those among you whose ears are more attuned to the timbre of Hollywood stars than usual. Guarantee you all know this person too, so prick up your ears, listen for the infinitesimal clues, and see if you can tell. Who the hell is that? Hollywood legend. All right. Panel, as you know, in the case of our uh, mystery guests, we uh, go to a different form of questioning, one question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and I think we'll begin everything with Dorothy Kilgallen. Are you in show business? Yes. <laughs> Mr. Mika? Are you in films? Yes. <laughs> Miss Francis? It's very hard to tell from that yes whether you're male or female, but you know, don't you? Are you, uh... Are you in the New York area appearing at the present time in something? No. That's one down and nine to go. Actually, I'm going to qualify that, if I may, and say that uh, since you said the New York area and considering the, all the activities of our guests, uh, we will admit that there is, uh, in a sense, an appearance at this time, if it's all right with you. Okay, Mr. Gable? Are you male? Yes. <laughs> Miss Kilgallen? Uh, have... Are you about to open in a play on Broadway in the very near future? No. One down and nine to go, Mr. Mika. Have I ever worked with you? No. <laughs> Two down and eight to go, Miss Francis? <laughs> I think wishes he had, Ralphie. <laughs> Are you working on a picture at the present time? Yes. Mr. Gable? Is the picture being shot in New York? Yes. Miss Kilgallen? And we'll stop it there. Do you have an inkling? Do you have an inklingette? Mull the blighter over and we'll find out later. In all seriousness, folks, I do hope that your New Year's resolutions are going well so far. I was only kidding earlier, by the way. I do plan to cut out the old beer for a while. I need to lose a few pounds. And it's a great opportunity to be part of a movement. You know, New Year's, dry January. You just tag along. It's great fun to be a part of it. And my resolve is strong. Really and truly, no one in the world could convince me otherwise. Stop it! Get behind me, temptress! Lucky and... Premium? I want to be lively. Yes, lucky. I want to be lucky. Funnest ingredients aged for flavor. That's Lucky Lager. Flavor that's entertaining, enthusiastic, a very exciting beer. Oh, I tried. Oh, go and see Rob for some less destructive music. One of the reasons that I love this song so much, aside from the fact 
that it is gorgeous, <laughs> so from the heart. It is also the last piece of music that George Gershwin wrote. He died of a brain tumor at the age of 38. The song was finished, but certain parts in the song were in a lead sheet format, which is where you have the melody written out and only the chords. So they brought in his very good friend, musician, pianist, and overall genius, Oscar Levant, who fleshed everything out, finished writing out the song. George Gershwin's brother, Ira, finished writing out the beautiful lyrics, and a song is born. And of course, I'm talking about Love is Here to Stay. It's interesting. Some people call it Our Love is Here to Stay, but the title is just Love is here to stay. And of course, we think of Gene Kelly singing to Leslie Caron in An American in Paris. So many beautiful arrangements of this song. I like this one a lot. It's lesser known, and it is sung by the incomparable Nat King Cole. I love everything about this song. I love what it says, and I do agree. Love is here to stay. It's very clear. Our love is here to stay Not for a year But ever and a day The radio And the telephone And the movies that we know May just be passing fancies And in time may go But oh my dear Our love is here to stay Together we're Going along Rockies may crumble, Gibraltar may tumble, they're only made of clay, but our love is here to stay. And that was Nat King Cole with Love Is Here To Stay. And thank you, Rob, for today's musical selection. Wonderful. Rob will be back next time. 
Now, if you remember, my special guest in the last episode, Miss Christina Rice, very kindly offered one of you a stunning prize package. If you're a fan of Anne Dvorak, then Christina is basically the queen of all things Anne. She offered a signed edition of her Anne biography, as well as lots of other pieces of Anne memorabilia. Loads of you entered. So all I need to do now is pick a winner from the correct entries. You had to identify one of Anne's co-stars, and the answer was, of course... Mr. Lyle Talbot, receiving the Anne Prize package is... Joseph Davis. Joseph, I'll be contacting you henceforth about getting that package sent out to you. My thanks to everyone who entered, and my special thanks to Christina for her kindness. Truly an honour to talk to you, and don't forget... Christina's new book, All About Jane Russell, is out very soon, so make sure you pre-order now, folks. It's called Mean, Moody and Magnificent. Right, let's get into some movies then. A pair of movies today. Hijinks ensue. Don't you just love it when you told a plot to a film and it finishes with the words, Hijinks ensue. A mischievous child gets hold of a box of matches and a can of paraffin. <laughs> Hijinks ensue. A tax expert becomes friends with a department store Santa. Ha ha ha! Hijinks ensue. Game show host becomes president. Hijinks. Anyway, you could well be forgiven for thinking that hijinks ensue when plucky nurse Catherine Lawrence, played by fresh faced Margaret Lockwood, goes on a seaside weekend away with her randy fiance Jeff, played by Hugh Williams, in Carol Reed's bawdy British sex comedy. Bank Holiday from 1938. But no, 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 no. Five times no, in fact. Get ready to reach for those hankies. Nudge, nudge, I'll stop it. You know, Mr. Howard, I've loved nursing your wife. And she's told me such a lot about you. I hope it hasn't been too bad. Well, not too bad. What did she say? Oh, that, that you work too hard, and that you smoke too much, and that you never know which is your own toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> you must come to see us when it's all over. You'll be able to laugh at me for making such a fool of myself. I shan't laugh at you. I can just imagine how you feel. Yes, it's certainly not some saucy seaside postcard romp like the carry-on movies. We're smack bang in drama territory here, you can tell. Because in the first ten minutes, we watched the lovely Lyndon Travers, Lockwood's co-star and The Lady Vanishes, dying tragically. Nurse Catherine is distraught at losing such a lovely patient and even more distraught by the effects that Lyndon's death has on her husband in the movie, Stephen, played by John Lodge. Would you like me to come with you? I mean, shouldn't somebody see you home? Why? I thought you might not like to be alone. Alone? Don't mind my asking, but at your home, there's no one there, is there? No. There's no one there. Don't you think you should have someone to see you're all right? I think you should. No, thank you, nurse. Don't worry. I told you I should be all right. There's no time to mourn, or indeed help, though, because Catherine's being whisked off to the seaside by her quite awful love interest, Jeff. Yes, death or not, he's determined to get his leg over. Come on, darling, would you? Pull yourself together, forget all the sadness, and let's have some shandy so I can feel you up on a train. Don't be bad-tempered. What's the matter? No, it's not me, Cat. It's you. You haven't been a bit yourself since the moment we first met. And I should thought after hanging about all that time for you, you wouldn't even kiss me properly until I asked you to. Oh, Jeff, I did. It's all turning out so different from what I expected. You don't seem a bit thrilled or pleased that we're going away together at last. I know, Jeff, but the case upset me. 
But they'll die. Oh, I ought to have cottoned on him for something like that. Well, I suppose I'm selfish, but you know how it is, Cash. I've been looking forward to this for months now. I don't know about you, but I've thought of nothing else for weeks past. The thing is, Catherine's only gone and fallen in love with the widower. Yes, even before his wife has finished gasping her last, Catherine's decided that Mr. Howard is the far more suitable option and can't stop daydreaming about the chap now that he's been single for all of half an hour. Meanwhile, Jeff has Rumpy Pumpy on his mind, and in order to sweeten the deal, he's gone and booked the absolute worst holiday of all time. It begins with not booking a hotel for them to, you know, sleep in. You want a room facing the sea, with a private bath, 18 and 6, isn't it? Does that include breakfast? I'm sorry, we're all booked up. Oh. Oh, well, what, what's your next prize? I'm afraid we do nothing at all. Well, absolutely nothing at all. I'm afraid not, sir. One moment. I've got a small single room. Would that do you? What do you think, dear? Well, uh, no, no, I don't think it would do at all. Oh, well, I'll... I'm afraid it's no good, then. I'm sorry. Don't worry, though. They can sleep on the beach. It's very romantic down there, alongside the sea and the sand and the seagulls and the billion other people sleeping rough because there aren't any hotels. Cheer up, Jeff. It may not be a room in the Grand, but at least it's facing the sea. I could go on. It's a shambles, though. Basically, we watched Jeff trying to bump uglies with Margaret Lockwood for 80 minutes, but she can't stop lusting after the poor guy whose wife has just perished. In a sinister twist of fate, he's also moping around the streets of London, half mourning his beloved wife and half lusting after Nurse Lockwood. It's most awkward. Alongside these shenanigans, you also have a couple of side stories. You have a working-class family who are also at the seaside and their story of how the husband is a big, hairy chauvinist who gets his comeuppance in the end, don't worry. You also have the tale of two gal pals on a jolly at the beach and in search of love. Eventually, of course, all of these strands overlap and there's even a crime mystery that pops up. It's a real jumble sale of a movie. Quite uncomfortable in parts, I have to admit. The whole widower wanting to drown his sorrows by romancing Margaret Lockwood is kind of ew. One minute he's farting around on the streets remembering how he met his wife, and the next he's imagining Nurse Lockwood in her nylons. It's like, come on, pick a tone, would you? Then you have this stupendously useless final act where Lockwood realises that the widower man is going to end it all. So she races off back to London to save him. Yay, you think. I hope she gets there in time. So she hitches a lift with a man who's on his way back to the city. But all of a sudden, it turns out that he's a robber who's just stolen some money from something or other. So they have to stop off at the police station to waste eight minutes of the movie. I get it. They're trying to add some tension. But basically what happens is that the robber fellow stays quiet for a few questions and then he admits he's a robber fellow. So she gets to go off and save the widower. It's just a bit of a useless diversion. Now, it sounds like I disliked Bank Holiday. I actually didn't. I found it really quite diverting, but I can't quite work out whether I enjoyed it or whether I was just watching in horrified fascination. You know the way you watch a Jenga tower lean to one side and then right itself? That sort of gormless, oh my god, face you do. That's your face when you watch 1938's Bank Holiday. Another oddity in terms of plot, 1936's 
Trouble for Two, yet another movie that advertises itself as some sprightly romp, only to betray you. Honestly, you have a poster with 1930s Robert Montgomery side-eyeing a glamorous Rosalind Russell in her 1930s party frock. Trouble for two, it says, in bouncy red and yellow party writing. Hijinks ensue! So, yes, this is not a comedy. It's actually a mystery thriller set in the late 1800s and based on a book called The Suicide Club by Robert Louis Stevenson. So I've actually read The Suicide Club, and it's a great book. If you haven't read it yet, it's basically a collection of three stories, all mystery tales, and all featuring this central character of Prince Florizel of Corovia, who's this disillusioned European prince who's out for adventure and who stumbles into a sinister plot in lamplit London. Eventually, all the stories link together. It's an ingenious little collection. But you'd have no idea that this movie is an adaptation of the book from the poster. It's wild. So this stars Robert Montgomery as Prince Florizel, alongside Rosalind Russell as the mysterious Miss Vandeleur, with Frank Morgan, Reginald Owen, Lewis Hayward, and the great E.E. E. Clive. And here's a clip. He isn't a boy any longer, do he? No, Your Majesty. And I've just had to hurt him. Really? For the first time? It's about this marriage business. Yes, Your Majesty. And you can help him where I can't. He said a hard blow. But if I know anything at all about him, he'll come through it all right. But he'll fight. There's no knowing what he may do in the next month. So I want you to take him away somewhere. To London. But never let him out of your sight. Yes, Your Majesty. I'll do my best, Your Majesty. And understand this, Colonel Geraldine. If anything happens to him, if one hair of his head is harmed, or one line gets into the newspapers about him, no matter what he does, I'll have your hide nailed to the palace walls. Is that clear? Oh, uh, yes, Your Majesty. Good. Got a cigarette? Oh, yes, yes. Cigarette. When he finds out that he's been betrothed in marriage to a princess he cares nothing for, Prince Florizel escapes Corovia in search of adventure in the company of his best pal, Colonel Geraldine, played by Frank Morgan. It isn't long before he's been sucked into intrigue by the enigmatic Miss Vandeleur, played by Rosalind Russell, and a doomed young man named Clive, played by Lewis Hayward. Death's private door. Once through that door, all is arranged for you by expert minds. By your own choice you die, but not by your own hands. In short, in a manner becoming a gentleman. You amaze me, sir. Such a place really exists. I trust so that you will again do me the honour not to doubt my word. Yes, it seems as though in the dark alleys of London, a secret society exists for those of a black disposition. The Suicide Club aims to offer death to those who seek it in a most unusual way. Attention, gentlemen, silence, please. For the benefit of our new members, I remind you, the ace of clubs designates the executioner. The ace of spades, the card of death, the fortunate victim. Is that clear? Five of clubs. Seven of clubs. But is there more to the background goings-on of the suicide club? And who exactly is the lethal Miss Vandeleur? I know it all sounds terribly morbid, but don't go into this thing thinking it's doom and gloom. This is far more in the vein of Sherlock Holmes, Irene Adler, and Flashman, crossed with Arsene Lupin, 
and raffles, that kind of vibe. If you're a detective pulp mystery fan, you'll adore this thing. I'm genuinely delighted that this film exists. I remember reading the book years ago and being very taken with it. I do love an anthology, especially one that invisibly sews each thread into one long yarn. Very clever stuff. Trouble for Two is a very fun stab at bringing that sense of adventure, mystery and fun to the screen, helped by the cast, headed by Montgomery, who I have to admit I'm coming round to the more I see him. I don't think he'll ever be tip-top ten for me, but I am warming to the fellow. I will watch Frank Morgan, E.E. E. Clive and Reginald Owen in anything, and they are suitably pompous, hilarious and downright diabolical in this. They are everything you want from your Victorian-era supporting characters. Have to say, props especially to Reginald Owen, who plays the malignant president of the Suicide Club, but he does so beneath what I can only describe as a false head. I know how silly that sounds, but when you see it, you will know exactly what I mean. It's like he's wearing a head on top of his head. All the way through the story, I assumed that it would play some kind of part in a reveal. But nope, I think the producers just decided that his head was far too normal. So they made him wear two. <laughs> it has some splendid twists, some riotous swashbuckling, sumptuous romance, and even a laugh or two. Cannot recommend it enough. 1936's Trouble for Two. Seek it out, you'll dig the hell out of it. Hijinks well and truly ensuingly. Hey, here's a turn up for the books. The old-time radio series Escape adapted the first story from Stevenson's original book, Young Man with the Cream Tarts. So you get to have a real taste of the story before you buy. Over to Escape then for their adaptation, and I will see you afterwards. Started your Christmas shopping yet? Worried about where the money's coming from? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. You are seated around a green felt table with a dozen desperate men waiting for the turn of a card. If it's the ace of spades, you will be next. And you desperately desire the impossible. Escape. Escape. Produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And carefully plotted to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to London of the last century. A London of gas lights and handsome cabs. A London where a gentleman still valued his word of honor above his life. A London of which one terrifying incident is recorded by Robert Louis Stevenson in his unforgettable story, The Young Man with a Cream Tart. City seems to offer little amusement tonight. Well, bottoms up. Must be on our way. Right, sir. Your health. And yours. Please have a cream tart. Absolutely, my confidence. Well, now, what's this? A young man with a tray of cream tarts. He's giving them away. Well, perhaps one of the terms on the bill. <laughs> perhaps. Shall we go? Yes, right. 
I pray you accept this infection, for if you do not, I'm bound to eat it myself. You must be crazy. Well, never more sane. You refuse? I do. And there's nothing for it but my 27th start since 5 o'clock. Now there are but two left. You, sir. Yes? Will you so far honor an entire stranger? Silly excellent pastry, I should know I've eaten enough of them. It is not the nature of a gift that is important, but the spirit in which it is offered. The spirit, sir, is one of mockery. Mockery? And whom do you mock? Myself. However, my purpose at the moment is not confession, but rather distribution of these cream tarts. Won't you and your friend dispose of the last of Yes. Yes, on one condition. If my friend and I eat your last two cakes, we shall expect you to join us at supper. Supper? It's a horrible thought. I've already eaten two dozen of these pastries. Very well, then we shall omit supper and become better acquainted over a bottle of wine. I'm uncertain whether my repugnance for these two remaining tarts or the attraction of your invitation compels me, but I accept. Excellent. Then let us finish off your pastry and seek a more quiet place. How about Michelle's in Soho? Splendid. Shall we go? <laughs> I drink to your health. And we drink to yours. Uh, I'm sure you will understand my curiosity. But, but you are curious. Naturally. Although I suspect that your story is probably a silly one. Oh, indeed. You may rest assured that we are two of the silliest men in England. My name is Godall, Theophilus Godall, and my friend here is Major Alfred Hammersmith. I like you, Mr. Godall. And you, Major Hammersmith, though I suspect those are not your right name. It is of no importance. Exactly, nor is my name, so I will not divulge it. Although I see no reason why I should deny you my story, it's brief and foolish. Pray tell us, then. It's an oft-told tale. A modest fortune which I squandered in the usual ways at cards at the horse races in Paris. Then two months ago, I met a young lady exactly suited to my taste in mind and body. My heart melted. I was in love too late. Yesterday, my solicitor warned me that I had but a hundred pounds left in the world. Forty of these I used last night for a special purpose. And I have agreeably spent the day disposing of the remaining 60 pounds in as foolish a manner as I could devise. And the future? The future has been taken care of by the 40 pounds. Is it not odd that we three should have met by the merest accident in so large a wilderness as London and be so nearly in the same condition? Yes. Major Hammersmith, I was thinking the very same thing. What's this? Are you two also ruined? Is this bottle of excellent wine the last folly? Like my cream tart? Very nearly so. I'm perhaps a week behind you. I still have a few banknotes in my wallet, however. Here now, this bill will take care of the bottle of wine. And the others I throw into the fire. Oh, no. You shouldn't have burned all of them. You should have kept 40 pounds. 40 pounds? Why? Why not 50 or 70? For to my certain knowledge, there were more than 100 in his wallet. It's only just 40 pounds he needed. But without them, there is no admission. The rule is strict. What do you mean? I have not yet completely emptied my pocketbook. You are not fooling me. You are indeed ruined men like me. Oh, indeed. Could you muster 80 pounds between you? Well, let me look in my wallet. Yes, 80 and a little over. Then you are indeed most fortunate. 40 pounds each is the initiation fee of the suicide club. The suicide club? What the devil is that? The suicide club is death private door. It's the ultimate convenience in our modern world. It exists for unfortunates like us. Those to whom the painful agony of corrosive poison is distasteful. 
For those whose courage fails them when the cold muzzle chills the forehead. For those whose fear of drowning is greater than their compulsion to die. For these sensitive misfits, the Suicide Club ranges every detail. If you are truly tired of life, I will introduce you tonight to a meeting, and I can assure you that within the week you will be relieved of the burden of living. What do you say? More serious than a cream tart, and I suspect more palatable. More serious, certainly. So I... I wonder if you would give Mr. Goodall and me five minutes alone to discuss it. Certainly. I shall wait outside. Your Highness, this adventure must stop here. Nonsense, Colonel Geraldine. I propose to see this through. See it through to what? Death? You forget your obligations, not only to yourself, but to your country. Prince Florizel of Bohemia cannot risk... Tonight I am plain Mr. Godard, and so I propose to remain. And please remember, Colonel Geraldine, under no circumstances are you to betray my incognito. But, Your Highness... We have survived graver adventures than this one promises to be. And now, Colonel Geraldine, let us pay our bill and accompany our young wastrel to death's private door. Governor, box court. Gentlemen, we have a ride. Here you are, cabby. Keep the change. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, come on. Well, Mr. Godal, Major Hammersmith, there is still time to change your mind. Lead on, sir. My mind's made up. And mine. Follow me, then. As dark as a tomb. An apt and concise simile. gentlemen, at death's private door. Shall we enter? Pray, let's. You may hang your things in here. If you'll be good enough to wait, I shall call the president. Of all our follies, this is the wildest and most dangerous. I'm beginning to believe you're right. Let me beseech your highness... Do not forget you are my aide-de-camp. Not your father. Yet I am responsible to the king for your well-being. Colonel Geraldine, you're not afraid. Certainly not for myself, but for your highness. Quiet. The president will see you in his office. I have vouched for you, but you must give him honest answers. The indiscretion of a single member might lead to the dispersion of the society forever. He can't afford to take that risk. Follow me. In here. He's waiting for you. Good evening. I am told that you wish to speak to me. We have a desire, sir, to join the suicide club. Sir, you've made a mistake. This is a private house. You must leave it instantly. We have come here upon the invitation of a friend of yours. He's already told you of our desires. Believe me, sir, when one has come this far along the path, one is not likely to be turned away and certainly will tolerate little rudeness. Permit me to assure you, either you will oblige us in the matter, or you'll regret ever having admitted us to the premises. <laughs> well, now, that's more like it. This is no place for men not yet desperate. I believe you, sir. 
But what of your friend? My reasons are even more cogent than Mr. Goodall's. I, uh... I was cashiered out of my regiment last week. Why? Cheating at cards. I see. And you, sir? What is your reason for being tired of life? Unadulterated laziness. Don't trifle with me, sir. You must have a better reason than that. I have no more money. And I'm much too lazy to come by any. Hmm. If I did not have a great deal of experience in these matters, I would turn you down. But I have learned that the most frivolous excuses for a suicide often cover a deep and lifelong desire for self-destruction. Thank you for your understanding, sir. Very well. The business. I shall read you the oath of membership to which you will each subscribe. I swear to obey without question the instructions of the president of this association or any of his appointed deputies. Realizing that desirable death could scarcely be a penalty for violating this oath, I am aware that any violation will be met at the discretion of the president by those means deemed suitable by him. Namely, excommunication from the church, loss of whatever honor still attaches to my name, and or, when necessary, violent reprisals against my bereaved family. In full knowledge of the sacredness of this oath, I subscribe my name. Well, gentlemen, you are in a position to enforce those penalties. I am. Hand me the pen, my friend. The pen, please. Major Hammersmith. Thank you. That will be 40 pounds apiece, please. Here you are. Thank you. And now, would you like to join the members in the smoking room? Indeed, we would. This way, please. Just make yourself at home. Everyone's quite informal here. If you'll pardon me, I have some other matters to attend to. Come along, Major. Let's mingle with the company. Your Highness. Be quiet. Oh, there you are. You got in all right, I see. Naturally. You'll never regret it. I'm sure we shan't. You care for a game of billiards and perhaps some whist? No, not immediately, thank you. I'd like just to wander around and listen to the conversation. You'll find it most revealing. She had always stood in the way of anything I wanted to do. And I don't care if she was my mother. She crossed me one time too often. You may be sure no, that I would never have joined this wretched club if I had not read The Origin of the Species by Darwin. I could not bear to be descended from an ape. Certainly, Don't I understand. There are some men who cannot abide the restrictions of the monastery. And after the abbot discovered me, there was nothing I could do. It's I, incomprehensible I to me. What is? Why, this talk, this boasting, this self-justification. When a man has made up his mind to kill himself, let him do it like a gentleman. Be done with the matter. As I told you, there are some of us more frightened of the act than of the result. There's only one man in this room who does not seem to be in a state of hysteria. Who is that, Mr. Godolph? Why, the gentleman sitting on the divan. Oh, yes. Yes, Mr. Marcus. Would you like to meet him? Yes, please. These others are too obvious. There's nothing very subtle about Mr. Malton. He looks like death himself, wearing thick eyeglasses. Let us discover for ourselves the reason for his relaxation. Mr. Walker. Eh? I should like to present two new members, Mr. Goodall and uh, Major Hammersmith. How do you do, gentlemen? How do you do, Mr. Pleasure? Uh, won't you sit down? Well, Newcomers. You. Newcomers. I envy you the novelty of your first visit. You will learn to relish it if you're spared. Why? My dear sir, this club, gentlemen, is the temple of intoxication. If my health would permit it, you may be sure I would be here more often. For this is my last dissertation. Believe me, sir, I have tried them all. All the vices. Yes. 
People trifle with love and ignorantly call it man's most powerful passion. Nonsense, sir, nonsense. Fear, fear is the strongest passion. It is fear that you must trifle with if you wish to taste the intense joys of living. Envy me, sir. Envy me. I am a coward. Uh, how, sir, is the excitement so artfully prolonged? Oh, of course, of course. I must tell you how the victim uh, for every evening is selected as well as the member who is to be death's high priest for the occasion. Great heaven. You mean they kill each other? The guilt of suicide is removed in that way. Then I, or my friend, or you, any of us, might be selected this evening to murder another man? Exactly. But how have they escaped the attentions of the law? Ah, the ingenuity of our president knows no limits. The uh, departures always appear to be accidental. It's monstrous. On the contrary, my dear Major. It is godlike. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, But, Mr. Malthus, I'm still in the dark as to how the members are selected for the evening's work. Oh, of course, I've got to explain. But I see that the others are filing into the card room now, and the play is about to begin. You shall see for yourself. Uh, will you lend me the help of your arm? I'm quite paralyzed, you know. Oh, of course. Uh, thank, thank you. Ah, this is the moment for which I live. The quintessence of poignancy. The ultimate of passion. Coming here as infrequently as I do, I, I've savored this bitter taste of fear longer than the others. But my turn will come. Who knows? That's right. But... How is it done? Tell us what to expect. Oh, it's so simple. The president deals from an ordinary deck playing cards, and each man turns up his card as he receives it. The ace of spades, the card of death. Ace of clubs designates the official of the night. The murderer. If you like. Ah, here are three chairs together. Happy, happy young men. You have good eyes and can follow the cards. I only make out the faces. Is everyone here? My friend, we still have a fighting chance to escape. Quiet. Let us play the game. Attention, gentlemen. Three of clubs. Jack of hearts. Ten of diamonds. King of clubs. Queen of hearts. Three of spades. Nine of clubs. Six of spades. Oh, no! No! It's our young man of the Queen Tower. He's drawn the ace of clubs. I came here to be killed, not to kill. I, I want to Gentlemen, die. Stop murdering. I, I must die. caution the members die. against such unsavory outbursts. I don't want to Since the ace of spades has not yet turned up, I will continue the deal. Oh, no. Eight of hearts. Oh. Seven of clubs. King of diamonds. Jack of spades. Eight. Oh, eight. <laughs> Mr. Malthus. That concludes the play for the night, gentlemen. Will the member who drew the ace of clubs come to my office for his instructions?
Did your highness ring? Yes. Good morning, Roderick. Good morning, sir. Oh, uh, I shall have my breakfast in bed this morning. Yes, your highness. And Colonel Geraldine has been waiting for you to awaken. Oh, very well. Show him in. Thank you, your highness. Colonel, his highness will see you now. Good morning, Geraldine. Sleep well? Not too well. Did I dream it, or were we initiated into the suicide club last night? <laughs> Seems like a nightmare. It was a nightmare, but you didn't dream it. Here, look at this, the morning paper. Huh? Melancholy accident. This morning, about two o'clock, Mr. Bartholomew Malthus of 16 Chepstow Place, Western Grove, on his way home from a party at a friend's house, fell off the upper parapet in Trafalgar Square, fracturing his skull. Death was instantaneous. Mr. Malthus, accompanied by a friend, was engaged in looking for a cab at the time. If ever a soul went straight to hell, it was that poor paralytic. Yes, at least he's dead and out of it. But think of our young man of the cream tarts. Last night, that lad was as innocent as you and I. This morning, he is a murderer. Uh, thank heavens we're safely out of it. Are we? Oh, no. You're not going to return. I must. You are infected with a passion of fear just as poor Malthus was. Perhaps. Whatever it is. Tonight, once more, we take our places at the table of the suicide club. <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Goddard. Back again to try your luck? Yes, indeed. And Major Hammersmith? Good evening. You, uh, you are to be congratulated, sir, on the matter of Mr. Malthus. Very neatly handled. <laughs> Thank you. But I shall miss poor old Malthus. He was a man I could talk to. Yes, your bereavement must weigh heavily upon you. Indeed it does, sir. But then it's all in the game. And now, you will pardon me, we will sit down to play directly. Fiend. The foul fiend of hell. Daddy, my friend. Once more, let me plead with you. Leave this evil house before it's too late. You're very tiresome tonight. Oh. Oh, here's our young friend of the cream tart. Good evening, old chap. Oh, Mr. Goddard. Mr. Hammersmith. Oh, how I wish I'd never brought you to this infamous place. Oh, leave. Leave while your hands are still clean. But our oath. We could not go back upon our oath. Well, renounce it. Forget everything. Let them do their worst, but leave. Leave before it's too late. If if you could have heard the old man scream as I pushed him from the parapet. The crunch of his brittle bones as he fudded to the face. Yes, I perceive the dealing is about to begin. Shall we go in? Yes. Mr. Mr. Goddard, if you have any kindness in your soul, wish the ace of spades for me tonight. There's nothing left for me but but to die. Attention, gentlemen. Three of hearts. Queen of Spades. Ace of Diamonds. Around and neither black aces come up. 
We are just 13. They set the table. This fourth round. This will... This will tell the tale. And I am next to last. Right 
Your Highness will pardon the violation of his person. Geraldine. Oh, my friend. It was quite necessary under the circumstances. As soon as you turned up the ace of spades, I slipped out of the house to prepare for your escape. But how did you manage it? When I realized I could not dissuade you from attending the club tonight, I retained the services of a certain capable and reliable private detective. But I... His secrecy has been bought and paid for. His men are now raiding the suicide club. The members will be removed to your townhouse, where it remains for you to pass judgment upon them. That I will gladly do, and with the utmost dispatch. What have they brought us here for? They didn't look like Scotland Yard men to me. What difference does it make? Perhaps this will be a quicker way out. Gentlemen. What? Why, that's my friend, Major Hammersmith. His Royal Highness, Prince Florizel of Bohemia. Bohemia? Why, that's Mr. Godot. Always thought there was something odd about this, too. Gentlemen. Tonight, we have removed you from a house of death to a house of life and hope. Those of you who have come to your present condition through lack of fortune will receive employment and remuneration from my treasury. Those who have been driven to this unnatural solution of their problem by the agonies of guilt must find amnesty from a power greater than mine. Power that eternally promises the forgiveness of sins, no matter how grievous. Only one of you is truly evil, and him I shall deal with myself. Where is he? Where is the president of the club? Colonel Geraldine. Why, he should be here, Your Highness. I beg your Highness, pardon. Who's this man, Geraldine? The chief of the detectives. Yes? What is it? Was you referring to the sallow chap with the sword whiskers and the black suit? Yes, that's the one. The oh. president of the suicide club. Where is he? The idea. Why not? Well, when we broke into the little office down there at the club, we found him sprawled over the desk with a little empty bottle in his hand. And that was Escape with Young Man with the Cream Tarts. Excellent. Just time to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was. Miss Francis? Uh, is the picture you are making in New York the picture with Sean Connery? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Were you ever James Bond 007? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was Sean Connery. <laughs> if any one of you got it, then you have the second sight and no mistake. Just time to say thank you for tuning in. Remember, if you want more of these shows, then there are over 80 more editions of this show available now if you sign up to become a co-producer at patreon.com slash secret. There are also movie commentaries, previews, ebooks, an entirely new and exclusive mini bite-sized version of the Secret History of Hollywood podcast called Blueprints, as well as a weekly film club every Sunday, movie included... This week we're watching a movie from 1941, so do go on over and vote, vote, vote. There are some stellar choices there to pick from. The Wolfman is currently in the lead 
over Citizen Kane. <laughs> Which I think says all it needs to about you listeners. Beautiful job. Hop on over to patreon.com slash secret or follow the convenient link in the show notes or listen on to the end of this show because you know what happens if you do? Hijinks ensue! <laughs> That's all from me, folks. Take care, be well, and look after yourselves and those you love. Bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.